Today's guest is so fun and smart and really thoughtful. I'm really excited. After completing a master's degree in sustainability management from the Harvard Extension School and a bachelor's in business administration from Boston University, today's guest launched Green Buoy Consulting to show businesses exactly how to integrate sustainability to transform their business. Eliza Erskine is her name, and her work focuses on early stage, small, and mid-sized companies across industries, and she delivers results including 30% annual energy savings and adding an average of 38 points to clients' B Corps assessments. Really cool stuff. So we're going to talk all about how and why companies should get on board with sustainability. And I think you're going to find this episode really fun. Please enjoy Eliza Erskine. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. What what do you think of when you think of the word hippie? When I think of the word hippie, I think of like granola, kale, 1970s commune. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This sort of stereotypical freedom to live how you want. Yeah. Exactly. What about like nowadays hippies? What are they into? Are they still kind of that granola Birkenstocks kind of thing? Yeah, I think they've had to, as more people like Birkenstocks feel normal to me now and like granola and kale, everybody eats kale now. Um, Yes. So I think of people that I know are friends that are just like either living off the grid or building their own homes or don't believe in banks and just kind of (laughs) go against society as we know it and kind of capitalism as we know it. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) This more off the grid thing. I think of, I think of it related to sustainability, right? Which is what I love to talk to people about. What do you do in your business? Green Bowie Consulting helps small, mid-sized, early stage companies create smart sustainability strategies. And I do that through helping them with strategy, helping them with reporting, helping them with B Corp certification. Um, Kind of if they have a sustainability strategy that's sort of, okay, well, one person's doing this and one person's doing this. How do we create a holistic strategy so that we can save money, engage employees and get new customers using sustainability? Yeah. So are these companies focused on sustainability or are they all, all different types of companies regardless Usually the company has a mission around sustainability or 
employees are starting to talk about it or they have seen it and they understand the benefits and they're at the point where they are thinking, how do we make this work for our business and can this work for our business? Yeah, that's awesome. That's incredible work. Thank you. And you help them with the strategy about becoming sustainable or the marketing and kind of business side? I'm very focused on the strategy operations, kind of what do you need to do behind the scenes so that your marketing team and your marketing people can tell the story in a way that is true. Yeah. And in a way that's effective. So everything that they want to say you know, we want to be reducing carbon by 30% or we see our competitor is doing this. How do we do that? I make that happen behind the scenes. That's awesome. How long have you been doing this? I started in 2018. Um, I actually started consulting as a school project So I did, yeah, the Harvard Extension School has a master's in sustainability. um, And I started that program in 2014, I think. So that was sort of the beginning of my, how do we strategically help companies? And I was um, doing that program and saw a need for small companies, which I mean, in the US make up 80% of the economy. Like it's such a big driver of economic impact. How do we help those companies, you know, get the same benefits as Unilever and Pepsi? I think it's sort of like, you know, the Microsofts of the world that are like net zero and all those things are really important. But I think small companies have a lot of opportunity to make those same commitments and create impact. It's just figuring out how to do that with them. What inspired you to do this work? So I grew up um, in the Pacific Northwest. So that sort of hippie, for lack of a better word, lifestyle that was, I mean, we, my parents were very much like, we're going to recycle this. And we were like hiking and camping. Um, The story that I think best kind of personifies this is before you could buy seventh generation products in a store, you bought them from a catalog. And we purchased (laughs) toilet paper, dishwashing liquid, laundry detergent from the seventh generation catalog, because that was the company that was doing the best things for the environment. So I was always, I mean, and I mean, my parents would talk about like, okay, we're not going to buy Nike shoes. This was like when Nike in the nineties had all those supply chain problems, you know, we're not going to invest in tobacco companies. We're not going to do, you know, the power of you as kind of your individual self to make change. And then I moved to Boston and studied business and was surprised at the fact that none of my classmates were really thinking about the environment. And someone came and spoke about sustainable business. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the answer. This is what I want to do. This is like, it was like a complete light bulb moment. Um, So that sort of got me interested in the kind of business side of things and using businesses to create even greater change. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I was actually born in Olympia and- Yeah. And I grew up in Utah, but I lived in Oregon for a few years. So the Pacific Northwest is home-ish 
<laughs> yeah, my par- I am is home, but yeah. Yeah. My parents live in Sisters, Oregon now. Oh my gosh, how cute. Yeah. My, it's- my family lived in Bend. Oh yeah. So you know that area. Yeah. Quite hippie, Sisters. Yeah. Sis- yeah. <laughs> it's Sisters, it's a mix of like people that wear bend is like too big, but then it's all, they also have a kind of strong conservative tie. But I think sisters, that town is very much like, we want to be outside all the time. We want to be hiking. We want to be like staring at mountains and doing things in the environment. And I, I mean, if you are thinking about climate change, you, like, I look out my parents' window and it's like, the mountains and you can tell how much snow has fallen and it's such yeah. a deeper connection to our actions and how that affects your surroundings. Yep, exactly. Yeah, growing up in Utah, we had the mountains as the <laughs> backdrop like we looked outside and there they were and we were always outside. So, right. It's kind of the same thing. But it's funny because now I'm a city girl and I saw that you live in New York City, so it's like I'm not passionate about sustainability and the planet because I want to go camping all the time. It's just because it matters. (laughs) Yeah. I also am not a camper. Um, The rest of my family is, they call, I'm like the quote unquote designated survivor that like stays home while they (laughs) climb Mount Baker (laughs) and do all that stuff. No, I love being in a city and always been kind of drawn to that lifestyle, which feels sustainable to me. And that, yep. I mean, I don't have a car. Yep. I live in a pretty small apartment. Like my sort of footprint is pretty small. So it's just, I don't know, identifying what you're interested in, where you are. Yeah, exactly. Ah, what a great connection. We, we don't have to want to be outside all the time to care about the environment, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, if you think of cities, you know, with air quality and just water quality, there's so many things that affect cities Mm -hmm. too with the environment that I think are important to talk about. Yep. And same as you, like I moved to Lisbon, Portugal, because I didn't want to have a car. I wanted to be in a city that had public transportation, the river's there, the ocean is 30 minutes that way. Like, yeah. I didn't want to have a car. So I love it. I think sustainable living happens a lot in the cities, not entirely, but a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. What's like the most hippie thing you do? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's all relative. I think that we're normal to me, like saving every sandwich bag and drying them on the bag rack. Yeah, I just I, did that. <laughs> yeah, like those things here now when I do them, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. Or yeah. so like those types of things. I think composting now is becoming more normal, which is great. Um, I mean, saving like foil. I try and think of it a lot about like food and just like whenever I'm in a grocery store I am just like there's so much plastic here why is every if I get a package I am just instantly why is there so much plastic what's and I notice if you know things are paper versus plastic or just sort of those things that I'll talk about that 
don't ring as true with other people. So, yeah. But it's fun to be the weirdo who washes her plastic sandwich baggies and dries <laughs> them in the car. Like, I love doing those things and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, you don't do this? What? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's think, funny. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just think of the, like, that's what we did when I was growing up and it's, I was always like, oh my gosh, like my parents are so weird and why are we doing this? Everybody else gets like Lunchables and we would never, ever have that. And now I look and I'm like, thank goodness that I just had this model of like, you should be walking into a grocery store and saying, why is there so much plastic here? And you should be talking to companies about this. And, you know, if you work at a company, you buy something from a company, you should be pushing them into these things. And I mean, just setting a model of what to do for people that are around with you. I don't know. I, you know, look on it kind of fondly now. Yeah, I know. I love that. Me too. Because I feel like there are two problems, right? There's CO2, there's emissions and Mm. greenhouse gases and all that. And then there's also waste, all of this plastic waste. Both of those things are important, but I don't know. I feel like we have a little more control over waste. Waste, I think is interesting. Um, I've been reading things and I saw something yesterday and another podcast I listened to was talking about how it's just been assumed and sort of expected that the burden of what to do with waste will fall on the consumer. Yeah. And now there's a move towards, you know, why isn't Coca-Cola paying for every single Coke bottle to be picked up? You know, Nespresso is another example. Those little coffee pods. Yeah. They gave money recently and I don't really know how if New York city asked for it or how that works, but they basically gave money to New York so that their pods can be recycled with normal recycling. So I think as those changes continue, I think it's going to be kind of slow, but a lot of that stuff, I mean, you just can't, it can't be a person that's doing this. Like a billion dollar company needs to be making more of an effort and be forced into making more of an effort to do those types of changes, I think. Yeah, exactly. So with the companies that you work with, are you focused on both of those things or do you have one like on the CO2 versus the plastic waste? For a company, it depends on what's material to them. So, you know, a company that makes products waste is definitely going to be a bigger thing than a service-based company where they probably are in a huge office and they're traveling. So CO2. um, Yeah. It's really figuring out what the company's doing and what's important to them and what their employees are thinking about. Um, I like to think about it as the triple bottom line. So how can a company be incorporating people profit and plan it into decision-making into stakeholder engagement and into kind of how they're making their sustainability strategy work. Um, And oftentimes, you know, reducing waste or making changes is profitable. Like those types of different switches are things to save energy. All those different kind of emission driven changes can be profitable for a company. Yeah, exactly. And 
people, consumers are craving more responsible companies. We want to buy more responsible stuff that isn't destroying the planet. So it's a good marketing message too. It's a great marketing message. Yeah. I think the consumers are driving a lot of the interest. I'm seeing a lot of change and engagement around employees. Employees now want to work at companies that are making these changes or doing these things in the same way that a consumer would look and say, okay, this company is making good sustainable changes. Employees are now choosing one company over another because of different sustainability metrics, initiatives. And well, there are studies now, companies are losing talent because employees are choosing. Yeah. Which to me as someone, I'm like, that's great. Employees should be choosing this. They're more engaged at companies. You know, there's a lot of things to kind of back up what they're doing, but it's interesting to see from an executive level and kind of the company shift to look at it from an employee engagement, turnover, Yep. All of those things are now being calculated into the cost of, you know, oh, we have to get a consultant in here or, oh, this is going to be a big change. And then you ask them, okay, what does it cost you to hire a new employee? Right. For companies, it can be like $200,000 totally to get someone new, to train them, to spend time looking for new talent. Like it's a big drain on companies to not have engaged employees. So that has been a big area that I hope will continue to grow. And I think will, especially as the kind of, um, Gen, I said Gen Z, Gen Y, I, whatever the next generation next after one. millennial, <laughs> Gen yeah. X, no, Gen X, me. Above, yeah. Gen X is above millennial. Yeah. Once yeah. the new I think it's generation alpha is the youngest. Right. Once they're in the workforce, like today's like middle schoolers. Yeah. You're going to have to be doing all of those things. Yeah, exactly. Those are the the ones who give me hope. The younger generations, Gen Z, I think, because they're demanding it and they're not going to take anything less. So it's, it's good. Mm -hmm. They're demanding it and they're making decisions based on it. I think millennials- You can argue like, yes, you know, we prefer it. We want it. But now the next generation is choosing products or choose. I think that is that kind of extra step, which will only increase as the younger generations get older, I hope. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Ooh, I love it. You're in the gr- the best business for this whole movement too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I It's been exciting to see the change and the development. I mean, even when I started my master's program, like 2014, I would tell people, you know, I'm interested in corporate social responsibility. And often I would have to explain what that means, or they would say, okay, philanthropy or, oh yeah, no. (laughs) And now, yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, you know, I've heard of B Corps or I work at a company that does that, or it's more, you know, in the air, I think. And obviously with different policy changes and things that are coming, like as the tipping point kind of draws closer, I think that it will continue to expand. Yeah, that's great. Well done. (laughs) I'm excited for you. Um, What's something that you do that's totally not hippie? 
I'm trying to think of now my like bad habits. I mean, I, I try not to order from Amazon. Of course I do. I mean, the takeout in the pandemic, the first, I would say probably like four months, I was like, I'm fine. We can cook. And I would say once like December of this year hit, it was just like, no, no. So now just like, even picking up food, like there's no need for all these things to be in containers. And yet I am like, I don't want to make dinner tonight. So this is what is, this is what it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. I know. Um, yeah. So that is, that is a dilemma, the takeout. And I know, yeah. I think there was a, a program in Toronto maybe where they had reusable ones and they had like three yeah. sizes or something and you would give it back to the Uber driver, the, like the, the delivery person. I think there's ones here in New York too. I mean, oh, good. there must be. Um, yeah. So I hope that, you know, that will continue, but yeah, I think that, and just, I mean, I too am like, okay, it's often more expensive to get whatever glass, you know, makeup container or different, that kind of stuff. I haven't gone all the way into like everything, you know, I don't, I don't have a shampoo bar. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, I've tried so many shampoo bars and they do not work for my hair. They do not. (laughs) So yeah, I'm the same as you, but I found a place where I can refill a bottle with some good. Oh yeah. See, that's great. Yeah. So that's better. Yeah. And I'm, you have some of those stores in New York. I follow some of them on Instagram, the, like the bulk stores and refill stores and stuff. Yeah. 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 That's good. Are you composting? So New York has shut down their compost. Mm -hmm. I can take it a little bit farther away. And if I can, I do, but I used to have, it was like Wednesday mornings between seven and 10 and it was like two blocks away and I just had to bring it to them. And that was a casualty of the pandemic. So they're doing a lot of things to um, bring that back. And I hope that it does come back, you know, or signing yeah. all those petitions and trying to, to do that. But yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Like why I want there to be like a federal food waste yeah. strategy. Like it just needs to be, And I mean, I live in a big building. One of my, this was like a college idea. I wanted to create a business where it was companies. Well, so apartment buildings would basically have like a compost center Mm -hmm. and the apartment would pay me to, you know, come pick up all this compost and they would incentivize people to, yeah. I mean, just the amount of, you know, trash and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I look at my friends that have like yards or like that's yeah. the other benefit of having <laughs> right yeah. having space. It's just like, great, put it, put it in the back with the compost. I don't have that luxury. So yeah. A friend of mine in Philadelphia has a compost program where I think they pick up her bucket every two weeks. And at the end oh, of the yeah. year, they get a big bag of compost to use in their yard or whatever. Oh, that's, that's cool. And they pay for it. So they're not even incentivized. She pays for this service, which I think is a great service and a good business model. Because I'm in an apartment and I'm like, I am not, I don't know. I haven't figured out how to keep compost 
in my apartment. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm yeah. curious if you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I will say when I was doing it more regularly before, I keep it in my freezer. I have uh, one of those yeah. like cereal containers that you get at like whatever store that I had. And yeah. I just put it in there and then I bring that, put it in the freezer and kind of fill it and then bring that and back. So okay. keeping it in the freezer cuts down on like smells. And, yes. But now there's those nice like countertop ceramic ones. Yeah. I don't have space on my counter for that. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to look for that when the stores open. Our stores are still closed for another oh. week or two, but I'm going to look for a solution finally for composting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know if in Europe, I remember someone was telling me many years ago, she lived in Europe and just like the trash cans were smaller. Like they would only pick up so much trash every week. Yeah. That's so you were incentivized sure. to use less. <laughs> yes, for sure. Now we have like a million trash cans because they're a little bit smaller. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't, it's not exactly doing it. And sometimes I see a compost, like a, a food waste container, yeah. like in a private lot. And I'm like, I have to hear their music all the time. So I'm going to go ahead and put my food in their <laughs> trash can. I have also passed those. And I'm like, do I take a picture and like mark down the time of when it's here so that I can go use it? <laughs> Maybe I can like get in, but I also, I mean, I think, you know, I, I have seen those pay, you know, and you pay to pick up your compost bin. I'm sure there's enough people in my building that would be yeah. interested in that, that we could, you know, all kind of combine. And so, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm curious about what's something that frustrates you about the sustainability movement, like people in our space. Um, I think the main things that frustrates me, and this is a little bit of what I was talking about earlier, and that it's like somehow the burden has been shifted on the consumer. Mm -hmm. Like it's my job to call my council person and say, okay, you need to be doing this. Whereas I think, you know, companies, first of all, the whole tax situation with companies is a whole other conversation, but just right. that, you know, it's not, there isn't more policy push. There isn't more push on companies to play their role to, you know, clean up the trash. I think that's an issue. Um, and I think a lot of this is changing, but a lot of the sustainability movement is white women that look like you and me that are probably upper middle class and, buy stuff on Goop and say, okay, this is great. And here, which is fine. I think that, you know, it's important that people have access to that, but bringing in people that don't look like us and saying, okay, you, you know, take the lead and all that kind of intersectionality work that still needs to be done. And I think that's growing, but it's just a, I don't know, it's not there yet. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. I love that. And I feel like other cultures, other people who are not white ladies like us, they have 
systems and they have great ideas that they've been implementing, right? That we just don't know about. So right, yeah. why not tap into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, you know, somebody that has grown up in a community and has lived in a community their whole life has a huge understanding of what the problems are, how to fix them, and they should be given access and power to make those changes instead of someone coming in and yeah, doing it for them. I don't, some of that kind of stuff. I definitely see a tide turning. Um, so I'm optimistic that that will continue. Like I was saying before about how companies are looking for employees that are engaged and doing that. I think if you're looking at yourself as, okay, I'm a consumer that's interested in sustainability, I think it's important to look at yourself as an employee that's interested in sustainability. Yeah. If you work at a company, you have a voice, you have the power to go to your company and say, I care about this. Everybody else that sits in my you know, desk area cares about this. I want to see a change from a company and not be afraid to use your voice and your power in that way. Yes. So I think that is an important just thing to think about, you know, as we are kind of integrating sustainability in all facets of our lives using your voice as an employee. Yeah, that's brilliant. When I worked at a university, this was like 10 years ago, I was on the green committee. Yeah. But I called it the why we can't be green committee because... (laughs) (laughs) You know where this is going. Yes. Yeah. Every time we brought up an idea, the guy in the suit would say, we can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And then he like bought some composting trash container, like one for the whole campus. And I'm like, we need to have green roofs. We need to have this. We need to have that. There's just so many other things we could be doing that would save the university money that would be better for the planet, whatever. So that was very frustrating, but I bet if somebody started that now, it would get a lot more traction than it did 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, I am wary of sustainability committees because I think a lot of them, I mean, they're designed to do what they're doing, which is nothing. It's a committee is designed to have people come into a room and complain about something. They're not given power. And I think Now, a lot of companies are like, oh, let's create this like employee resource group of people that care about this and they have ideas and then it's like, oh, we can't do this or, and then they get frustrated and then they leave. So (laughs) I, I don't, I think that it's changing and I think it's helpful for companies, even if they're like, okay, we've had people that are talking about this. Now they've come to us. And I mean, these employees are smart. They're giving them statistics. They're telling them stuff, but I'm hopeful that the era of the sustainability committee is kind of coming to an end. Good. What can they do instead? Because yeah, forming a committee was like just bonking your head in the wall. Like it just never, nothing ever happened. It was so frustrating. So, I mean, when I talk to people that are part of current sustainability committees, I urge them to basically make some presentation, some proposal to basically say, here's what we should be doing here's how we're going to do it. Here's a strategy. Here's, you know, the estimated amount of money it will save. Here's employees that are becoming disengaged because you're not doing it. 
it's your competitor that's doing it. So I think instead of using the committee as great, we've been given two recycling cans. What do we do with them? The committee is crowdsourcing statistics, ideas, so that you present that to your board and you say, here's our sustainability plan. Yep. So that would be more turns. Yeah. More effective. Um, But yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the draw of the committee, it's there, you know, and it is a great chance to see who else is interested, but it often just turns into kind of like a complaining fest or you get frustrated or you're working for six months and get like one compost box. So, (sighs) yes. So the committee leader needs to be empowered to assign that research so they can build a proposal. Yeah. That's awesome. Good idea. Yeah. So that's what I would say for that. Yeah. Good. Are you optimistic about the future of climate change and all that? I am just because I think it's a better, you have to be like, (laughs) and I am a very much glass half empty person. I am slowly learning how to be optimistic in most things, but I just think that we have to choose optimism because we need everybody to feel that way to make changes. And if I ever feel pessimistic, I will just Google, you know, company working on carbon sequestration. Like there's so many companies, there's so many smart people that are working on this, that I just have to be optimistic about the future. I think optimism needs to go hand in hand with, you know, pushing policy changes and pushing companies and pushing people. But I think we have to be optimistic if it's going to work. Yeah, that's true. Because if you're not optimistic, then you don't really put as much effort into those. Yeah, then you're already kind of selling yourself short. And it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, you're already starting from like 20 feet behind the finish line instead Mm -hmm. of 20 feet in front of it. So as someone who is not optimistic about much of anything, I just have to be optimistic about climate change because that's what I'm thinking about most of the days. But just, I mean, I think it's there and I think that we're on a good path. Yeah. Okay, good. There are companies doing really good work that's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Including you. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for talking to me. This was Thank so you. fun. It was fun. What a great, I don't know, great episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Do you have any questions for me? I mean, how did you get into all of this? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Because I'm not like the granola girl, but I care about animals. Oh, okay. More than anything. So it kind of started with that. And I care about the people who make my clothes and yeah. make our food and pick our food for us. And like, so for me, it's a lot about the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that optimistic about um emissions and all of that stuff. But I do think we have a lot more to control regarding waste and plastic waste and stuff. So yeah, for me, it's, it's kind of about the people who are doing the work and making stuff for us. I think they deserve a better life. And the animals, they don't, they shouldn't be swimming around in our plastic and they shouldn't, you know, like I should have a better answer, but 
no, I think that's, that feels human to me instead of, mm-hmm. oh, I read this article or, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it actually started with my dog <laughs> when I oh, was a kid. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't eat my dog. And she loves everyone else. So if I'm eating an animal, then I'm eating my dog's friend and I can't eat my dog's friend. And so it kind of all started from that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's really neat. That's all I've got for you. Thank you again. Thank you. Wow. I am so impressed by this work that she's doing. Not only is she helping companies make more money by appealing to consumers who want sustainable businesses, but also saving a ton of money on employee engagement and retention and attraction and all of that good stuff. It's really expensive to keep good employees. So very cool work. And I think... If you're working at a company like I was at the university and you want to be doing some sustainability actions at your company, why not reach out to her and see what she can do and see how she can help you and your company get started on making a real difference for the planet. I think that's what she's good at. So definitely get in contact with her. I'll put all the information in the show notes. So you can find Green Buoy Consulting online and talk to Eliza. Uh, I hope you'll follow us on Instagram at Half Hippie Podcast on Instagram. I'll post some related and fun things throughout the week. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free. It helps me out a lot and you won't miss an episode. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this and I'll catch you soon.